so here we are. We are in the midst of a series called When He Returns, because we believe in the return of Jesus Christ, and we believe that he is going to do so uh, soon. If, uh, if you've got a program, there should be a little fill-in-the-blank things that are going on there, and I, I'd love for you to do something. Next to the word soon, I would love you to make a little asterisk. A little star next to it. We're going to define that in just a moment while, you, while we all get this ready. I am uh, raising an 8-year-old and a 12-year-old girl in my house. They're, it's not the same girl in both ages. She doesn't have the Dr. Strange gift. But, but I have two girls. I have a wife and a mother-in-law. We all live together. And I get the dog is a female as well. I am... <laughs> surrounded by girls, and I feel like I need to give you all a girl update every time I have the opportunity. My eight-year-old in particular is a pistol. She is, uh, is interesting. She lives on YouTube almost exclusively is where she wants to spend all of her time, but she's been doing something lately where I've been trying really hard to teach her not to do that, and because she is I don't know. I'm gonna blame. I'm gonna blame my wife because she's my, because she's not in here right now. She's uh, my my wife's child in this story, at least. And uh, she's been doing this thing where when she sees a dog that she doesn't know, she gets her face and puts her face really close to the dog's face. This is not a good idea, is it? Right? No, because we've seen the pictures and we know the stories. And I keep on talking to her. And I'm like Hopi, because that's what we call her. Not hope, but hopey. Do not put your face so close to the dog. And I don't know what I got to do to get this through to my kid, but she doesn't want to listen to it. So I eventually like stopped her and, and was talking to her. I'm like, oh, can I, I just would love to ask you an honest question. You know, we're sitting here watching your 7,000th Minecraft video on YouTube for the day. And I just have a quick question. Why, uh, why don't you do what dad's asking you to do? Because she'll listen to me generally after I told her something the 20th time, but this has been 60 at least. Why don't you listen to me with a dog thing? And she got really quiet. You want to know why my kid was not listening to me regarding putting her face next to a dog's face? She thinks that what dads do is they just come up with rules <laughs> for the sake of coming up with rules. Right. Like at some point, you know, like hobbies weren't enough for dad. He just wants rules to cramp my style. And that's honestly, that's what she thought. And she started cracking up when telling me. I'm like, first of all, how lame do I already seem in life that I'm just a rule maker for the sake of, like I would come up with better rules than that. Like you should really only wear pink and yellow socks together at the same time. Ugh. Right? Like I would come up with something better than that, but... Just, you know, like, you know what would be great? Don't put faces next to dog faces. Boom, creative genius. Like, no, that wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. But that's honestly what she thinks. You know, I, and I tried to explain to her, Hope, just, I, and I, so what's great is that my mom-in-law, who we call Noni in our house, if you talk to Donna, you may also call her Noni. She would love it. And I call, now Noni, worked in the ER for more than 10 years, and she has worked in general surgery. She's got more than 50 years of professional medical experience. So I say, Noni, have you ever, and she comes down, she's like, what, what's going on? And I was like, I need you to explain to the eight-year-old 
why you don't put your face next to a dog's face. Have you ever seen anybody get injured by a dog on their face? And the answer was, oh, yes. And then she started telling the eight-year-old. And then the eight-year-old genuinely was like this, like, well, I'm still going to do it. Because she thinks that all Noni does, because I don't know if you've lived with a nurse, but if you do live with a medical professional, there's two things you should know about them. They know so many gross things, and they have so many gross stories. And then the other one is that they are unfazed by all of your sicknesses and illnesses. It's like, just put ice on it. Like, I, the bone is sticking out, and they're like, I guess we could take you to the ER. Like, they just hate the paperwork still, even though she's retired from it. And, like, she just tunes us out. And I don't know how to get the idea across to my daughter that some things, honey, are true, whether or not you agree with the person who's saying it or not. And some things are dangerous, whether or not you want to believe they are dangerous or not. And some things are going to happen eventually, whether or not you want it to or not, or whether or not you want to acknowledge it or not. I have friends in my life now, most of my friends um, that I, like, have, like, active ongoing relationships with, like, other than, like, people who I work with here, who I'm close with and are friends with, are not Christians, and they think that it's fine that we have Christmas. They think that that's fine. Uh, we'll let you have Easter, Tom. We'll let you have that. But when it comes to the return of Jesus, that is where they think that I have just lost my mind. They think, you are just crazy. And I'm like, so you are fine with me believing in a virgin birth and angels singing and shepherds helping tell a story. You are fine with somebody healing people and performing miracles and then raising again from the dead. You're fine with that. But when it comes to me believing that he's coming back, that's where you think that I'm completely bananas in the house. Fine. Here, here's the thing. It makes people upset. They think that it's unfair, and they don't want to talk about it. And I don't understand why a loving God would allow X, Y, and Z. You've heard the arguments before. And here's the fact of the matter. Truth does not care about feelings. Truth has no agenda. Truth isn't fair. Truth doesn't validate you. Truth doesn't hear you out. And just let you say whatever you want to say. Truth just is. It's not tolerant, nor is it intolerant. It simply is. Truth has no agenda. And let me just say, with all urgency and with all, all care that I can muster in my heart, that I believe that Jesus is returning, and he's returning soon. But I want to put an asterisk next to it so that we can talk about what the word soon means. We've been in the midst of this series, and Pastor Scott is going to be back uh, next weekend to, uh, to take us further into the series. And he gave me the option, like, you can either talk further about Revelation and talk more about the return of Christ, or you can kind of do your own thing. And here's what I want to do is I just kind of want to keep the balloon up in the air until he comes back and to give you a few things that I think are life applications. But first of all, I thought with the asterisk next to the word soon, I would give the fine print Right up, right up front of what I mean by the word soon. Okay, can we do that together? So here it is, soon. Here's the giant paragraph. Soon, in the biblical sense, is a relative term when used in relation to the eternal nature of the Almighty, 
who exists outside of time and space, yet concurrently operates within the confines of finite human history as I am. God, the same yesterday, today, forever. Thus, the use of the term soon, as understood by the internal mind, may be interpreted to mean promptly, as in now, or to mean a future time, say within the next 100 to 1,000 years, the later of which, in God time, is equivalent to one human day, therefore soon. We got it, right? I feel like we've got it. Jesus is coming soon. And, uh, uh, we're about to do something that uh, I tell every preacher um, when they ask my advice, when I look at their notes and they have like a million Bible verses, I say, you need to get rid of like most of those. That's just nobody wants to sit up there and watch some dude read. Um, but we're going to read a trunk of scripture because I'm going to talk about the end of the world. <laughs> and I don't want to get it wrong and I don't want it to be summarized and I don't want it to be filled with a bunch of another dude's conjecture. If you want just a bunch of random dude's opinions on the end of the world and Christ's return, I'm sure there's a podcast available to you of a guy living in his mom's basement with tinfoil on his head. I would like to avoid all of that and just tell you that Jesus spoke specifically on it. And isn't it amazing that at any point in time throughout your day, you can reach to your phone or to the printed book and you can read the words of Jesus Christ. You have the freedom to do that. How blessed you and I are. And I thought instead of me summarizing, I would just tell you exactly what Jesus said. How awesome is it that he allows us to do that? This is um, from what's called the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse. How good does that feel today? You can text your friends, man, oh, we got good preaching in our church. We got into the Olivet Discourse today. I don't know, but it's really good. This is in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, in your notes, it says, I'm going to start in verse 4. Man, if I'm going to give you the whole chapter, I'll give you the first three verses too. It's on sale. So we're going to go right at the beginning. We're going to read it together, and, uh, and then we're going to unpack a little bit today. And I'm going to make seven observations and then five quick applications, and then you're going to go to lunch. This is in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 4, or 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Now, I want to make a quick note here. If you look in my Bible, most, most Bibles these days, the red letters are all Jesus' words. And what we're about to get into is just what Jesus says. It's not with the Catholics or the Protestants or the Presbyterians or the Pentecostals or the Baptists or the Reformed or anybody else. I'm just going to tell you what he said. It's all here, written red. Do you see all these things he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. He's talking about the temple right here. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting at the Mount of Olives, that's why it's called the Olivet Discourse, is because he's on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that no one and that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. 
all these are the beginnings of birth pains. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. So, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one go to the field to go get back his cloak. And how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear, and they'll perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all of the nations will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. And I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows that day or our, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming days of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew that nothing would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, 
If the owner of the house had not known what time of day and night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put them in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he has then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour, he is not aware of, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How good it is to have his holy word. Amen. Can we pray together? Because that was a lot. Father, we love you. I trust you. And I ask you that you would help us to see what you would want us to see, hear what you would want us to hear, and do what you actually want us to do. We love you. We trust you, and it is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Seven quick and what I believe are obvious things to point out. There's so much richness, richness in the scripture that we could spend a long time, and I could break it all down for you. Um, he, he, here's, here's what I would just um, beg of you to do is, I, I, I've tried to explain to my kids something very seriously. If I could give them one gift, it would be the gift of knowing how to go to the scriptures on their own so that they would not be deceived. You see, I'm the lead pastor of my house. Pastor Scott is the lead pastor of this church, yes, but when it comes to my house and how I'm going to raise our kids, I believe that the Lord will hold me accountable to how I'm raising my children, and I'm their pastor. So I sit and I can teach them the word, but eventually they're going to be in their own houses, and they're going to hear other people try to convince them of every kind of direction, whether it be things to try to convince them to believe stuff that is just easy for them to believe because it's just validating to who they already are, or appealing for them to believe simply because it's inspiring. Y'all, we've heard inspiring preachers just because they're really good at speaking doesn't mean what they're saying is true. And I would just love it if we could just have a convincing place of truth to come to, which is when in doubt, and before you ever have a doubt, know what Jesus said. So that's why we go to Jesus. And I just thought I would point out some things that I think are really essential to this and really essential to understand as we continue in this series. The first one is because I don't want us to get lost in the weeds. Not that there are any weeds in here, but my goodness, people are really good at taking the story of the return of Christ and making some real wild opinions and accusations and interpretations out there. And I would love to just tell us what's going on here. One is that there is context within the context of what's happening here. One is that he is talking about two separate things. He's talking about the literal destruction of the temple that they were just standing next to. Now they're in the Mount of Olives, which is so bold when he says, this religious power over here is all going to fall apart. And what we know is that it actually did happen before that generation passed away. We know that that temple was destroyed. We know that there was a ruler named Titus 
that he came in around 70 AD and that he came in and he destroyed that temple and that he went in into the temple and he sacrificed a pig and then he put up a statue of Zeus to spit in the eye of that people's God and that that temple was destroyed. That's actually part of how we know historically when Jesus actually existed and that he was close into the time of place. Part of that story right there is how we validate many of the scriptures knowing its authenticity and its timing and its age is because Jesus called the destruction of something that happened quickly after that, before that generation passed. That was a temple that had already been rebuilt. They thought it was ridiculous. We just rebuilt this whole thing. All the power is happening. We have peace with Rome. And how confident they must have been when those same people thought they had peace with Rome finally got Pilate to crucify Jesus later. You thought the temple was going to be destroyed. In fact, they mocked him with those words. Hey, I thought the temple was coming down. Well, I guess you're dead. And then later on, that temple comes down. There's a context happening there. And that will be a sign of the end of the age. That's what we know. The second thing that I want to make is a quick observation before we get to applications, which is what's in your notes. Number two is deception is the enemy's game. Deception. He wants to fool you. He wants to trick you. He wants to confuse you. In verses 4, 11, and 24, out of that chapter, three times Jesus warns you, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. I think we get tricked really easily. I think that we get really impressed by visual things. We get impressed by our experiences. What happens is we often take our past experiences and we use our past experiences to be the truth, to apply to all matters of things in life and creation. We project our past onto other people's stories. And what Satan can do is the valid experience of your past he will use to tell you of what's really happening with the future. And he will use a little bit of truth to trick you. Anybody who tells you, if you're going to get fooled by a liar, they'll always use just a little bit of truth to trick you to buying into a great lie. How many times have you and I seen people who have claimed to be Jesus followers, and we end up seeing them on the nightly news because they've been caught in something again, stealing money, being predatory towards women? How many times have we seen it? We get tricked. And Jesus, over and over again, also warns you, beware false teachers. Be careful, because deception is the enemy's game. He's called the father of lies. The third quick observation is that faith is going to wane. Uh, verse 12, and I'll go a little further forward in my uh, notes there. In verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And this breaks my heart. Many people are going to lose their faith someday. Some people panic when we start seeing things like this. I've heard this my entire life, which admittingly isn't that long in the scope of things. I'm 40 now, so I'm certainly not ancient. I'm just not like young anymore, but I'm still, you know, I'm an adult now. That's kind of where I figure, like I'm allowed to rent a car for a while. Like I, I figure that's where I'm at now, okay? But my entire life, I remember sitting, and I remember my dad specifically sitting at the kitchen table like, the rapture's coming, Tommy, any day now. Like, and he would tell me, and he had all these crazy pamphlets that we had spread out all over our kitchen table. And guys, they were just wild. And a lot of them just had pictures of like empty pants laid on church pews because all the Christians going up in the rapture, 
I don't know what kind of, there used to be this great show that I loved called Quantum Leap. Like, oh boy, like everything, like that was what was happening with Christians constantly. And my dad was like, it's going to happen any day now. Look what's happening with Reagan. And like, here it is. And we get further and further. And I remember sitting and I went to a Christian school and sitting in chapel, I was sitting next to this guy named Jason who was ahead of his time smart and just already thought that everything with Jesus was just nonsense, but he was going to a Christian school because his parents made him. And this guy stood up and he says, boys and girls, I want you to understand that we have never been closer to the return of Christ than any other time in history. And Jason, which I want to say he was probably 16, was like, well, that's how time works. If you think the thing is in the future, of course it's closer today than it was yesterday, unless Jesus is going to go backwards in time. Who are these idiots? So, of course... Of course he's coming sooner today than he was yesterday. And then I see other people, and they're like shaking their head like, gosh, I don't know how things are going, man. Uh, he's he's going to, things are going terrible in this world. Jesus is coming back soon. And I'm like, I know. He told us that. What are you freaking out about? Because here's what I want to believe. The best piece of advice that I have ever heard in a fearful situation was at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was the only thing that I heard a politician say that actually made sense to me. Somebody said, do you think we should be afraid? And he said, I think the better thing to be is vigilant. And that's what I believe about the return of Christ. I'm not afraid. Because as a Christian, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. He's my best friend and my God and my Savior, and you told me he's coming back. Let's go. I find joy in that. You tell me that things are terrible in this world right now? I don't know how you could have served in World War II, and you could have found the concentration camps, and you could have found entire cities just completely decimated and not thought, he's coming soon. And the thing is, he is coming soon. Asterisk. Things are different for you and I, but sometimes it's met with this attitude that is not Christ-like, which is fear and anger, and it's not a righteous anger. It's almost like an anger of, you sinners are causing this. And I believe, I believe that my Father in heaven is in total and complete control. Just like when Jesus was facing his accusers, he made it really clear that they did not have the power, but they were only doing it by the will of his Father so that prophecy will be fulfilled. Do not stir up fear among people because of the return of Christ. Instead, stir up vigilance among the believers to be even more Christ-like. Because faith is going to wane. And part of it is because it's easy to believe in Jesus when everything is going okay. It's easy to believe in God when there's joy. It's easy to believe in God when things are going well. It's easy to believe in God when the bills are being paid. It's easy to believe in God when the right legislation is being passed. It's even easy to believe in God when your 401k is still a 401k. I don't even know what they are right now. Sweet mercy. My wife works for a banking institution. Have you seen mortgage rates? It's not like a great culture there right now. It's not going well right now. And there are Christians that I talk to, Christians who believe in a literal resurrected Jesus who are going, oh no, what are we going to do? Ah! And I'm like, 
you know that this is not the end of it. You know that this was never the end of it. They're like, I don't know. I think he's coming soon. And I'm like, yeah. And that fact has never changed. And yet fear and concern prevail in our tone instead of love and vigilance and focus on what actually matters most. Fourth observation besides faith is going to wane is that the hinge point of the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The Great Commission, verse 14, uh, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. Now, the word there for nations isn't like lines on the map, like you and I understand nations, so it's not necessarily every country. The word in there is ethnos, which means all people. The Great Commission is still go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to all people. And still, this is still the mission of the people of God. My question usually when people are like, are you seeing all the weather patterns out there? There's floods, there's fire in California, which is like, that's what happens in hot and dry places. Like, you know, that, that, like you see all the chaos in the world. You see the wars and rumors of wars that are happening. And my question is, is have they all heard about Jesus yet? No, then it's just weather. And you will know that it's Jesus returning because I believe that his trump resounding, his trumpet resounding is undeniable. There will be no question that it's him. Next, quick observation that I think is obvious. The abomination that causes desolation. That's, Daniel, that's a prophecy from Daniel in the Old Testament of a person that would become in the abject. We see this in 165 BC. A Greek ruler comes in, desolates the temple, sacrifices a swine in the temple, puts up a statue of Zeus. It's, a, it's an abomination against the blood of the lamb. Satan, even after seeing Christ returning, still sends somebody to decimate the temple later on and to spit in the face of a holy God. It's the idea that people are continuing and they will continue to try to come to supplant God, that people will stand in the holy place and say, forget about the blood of the lamb, forget about Jesus, we're good to save ourselves. Quick observation, you know that people are still doing that, right? We're good, let's save ourselves. I had a VCR one time that broke and I tried to speak affirmative words to the VCR like, work, you stupid piece of junk. And I would slap it on the side. You know that never fixed my VCR? No, because the VCR is incapable of fixing itself. You know what had to happen? Now, first of all, a VCR was this thing that we used to watch tapes on. And for the broke versions of us, we used to rent tapes and then record them. And you could fit like three movies, and that's how we would binge watch things back then. We all thinners with the past, okay. So this was the VC. You know how it got fixed is we took it to this thing. We had to physically leave our houses, which was just crazy that you had to go talk to other human beings. And I took it to a repair shop, and this guy who showered at least quarterly would then walk out with clothes, and he had attachments on his glasses, and he would say, that'll be $100. And then he would come back, and he would fix the VCR, and would take it back, and we'd fix it. It could not fix itself. You, being not a creator of self, cannot fix yourself. You can take responsibilities for your action, but you are now, you are no self-savior. Take responsibility for yourself, yes, but you cannot 
save yourself. Only Jesus can do that. You're not good. Only he can rescue. Only he can rescue. Other one that I want to point out that I think is obvious is that Christ's return is a public event. It's uh, not going to be subtle. Verse 27, for his lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Oh, they're going to know. Folks are going to know that it's Jesus. And they're going to look at it, and there will be an undeniable fact. Inconvenient. They may want to deny it, but it's going to be obvious. And lastly, as a quick observation, then we're going to get to application time. Everyone won't make it in the end. Not everyone's going to make it. Verse 40 of that same chapter, two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Someone and some folks are going to get left behind. And it's heartbreaking. We think that kindness is just being nice to everyone, but there are some folks who just don't want it. I was told by one of my best friends one time, and I was not uh, what some would call witnessing to him, like trying to tell him about who Jesus was so that he would make a decision. I was playing a song that I really liked, and he thought I was doing like a bait and switch. And he's like, Tom, I know you're a Christian, and you're very pro-Jesus, but I just don't want it, man, and I'm not interested. And I was like, whoa, dude. That's not what was happening. I'm just showing you the guitars are cool. But he was so adamant to make clear that he was not interested. And I love him so very, very much. And I pray for him. And I have compassion for him. And I have not given up on him. That I can have a relationship in his life. Because I really, really like and love him. But he is also making a choice. And not everyone will make it. So what do you do? What do you do? What's the application? Because honestly, the application for us understanding what to do with the return of Christ is really simple. A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Scott put it so well as he said that too often we focus on the when and not the who. It's like, well, when is he coming back? When is he coming back? I'd like to give you a quick statistic. 100% of every people who has ever lived, let's say 100 years before now, has died. Okay, except for Elijah and then one other guy that we're kind of debating about right now in the Old Testament, and Jesus too. They all die. Most likely, you and I are going to die someday. And I really hope that that doesn't send you on to an existential crisis today. And I hope that I'm not like giving you terrible news that you were not expecting. But it's probably not going to work out for you as finally making it to the return of Christ. But there's a part of us that thinks, no, 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 I'm going to be the one that's going to see it. Well, Peter thought the same thing, and he was so wrong like thousands of years ago. When I read some of the greatest theologians of all time, they passed away in the early 1900s, and they thought they were, received, they were in the last days. They were probably right. If you consider that a day to the Lord is like a thousand years, hey, you're right. You're vaguely right. But, you know, horseshoes and hand grenades, right? We're not that close. But there are going to be some. There are going to be some that are going to see it but it might not be you or me. So I would say this, if you're taking notes, that you and I need to live alert, not alarmed. I think we need to live alert, not alarmed. Verse 6, 
put it so well. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Be keenly aware, my friends. Second, and I want to keep moving uh, as quickly as possible, is that we are supposed to stay close to the original, the OG, as my millennial friends would call it. Stay close to the original. If the enemy's game is deception, what's the best strategy to keep from being deceived? Is you stay close to Christ. You pay attention to what he said. You don't look and try to figure out, well, what are the modern day applications? I remember a dude in the 80s came to my church and was telling me, like, see, John in the book of Revelation, he's talking about helicopters. Yo, I don't know, okay? I have no idea. That guy didn't know about drones and the internet didn't really exist yet. So, like, just pump the brakes on trying to figure out what all the piece of Revelation means. All I know is that Jesus is returning. My favorite, favorite story in the Bible, as far as, like, I just get it, was the blind man when people were pushing him. Jesus spits in the mud, picks up the mud, rubs it into a guy's face, and he can see. And people are pushing the blind man, trying to figure out, hey, is that guy the Messiah? Is he Jesus? What happened to you? Was it a miracle? And he had a great response. We sing it in a hymn to this day. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. It's a funny story. When we first were like checking out this building, people were coming into the church, and they were asking us a thousand questions about the building. And if you came up to me and asked and said, like, is this room going to be the nursery? Is this room going to be the pantry? And I would say, all I know is that this is the auditorium and we have five bathrooms. That was my answer to every question. You keep it simple and you stay accurate. You keep it simple and you don't get tricked. You try to, like, unearth things that you and I were not supposed to understand. John, the man who wrote Revelation, did not understand what he was looking at. You keep it simple, and you just say exactly what Jesus said, and your mission will be a success. You stay close to the original. Stay close to the original. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 5, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. So I will focus, play it, say it this way. Focus your life on the revealed Jesus not on some hidden prophecy. People start coming up to you and saying there's codes in the Bible and stuff like that. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I'll find out in heaven. In the meanwhile, I will serve the Great Commission and preach the gospel. Keep your life simple. The next is I'll say to you for your third point is to live ready. Live ready. And living ready does not mean ordering a five-gallon Home Depot, let's do this bucket, and filling it up with food. I mean, I guess you could. I mean, why not? Power does go out occasionally. I, but I'm just saying like this fearful, I got to have a hundred guns, I'm ready to go, doomsday prepper level. You want to be ready for doomsday, preach the gospel. You want to be ready for the end of all things, preach the gospel. You want to be ready for Tuesday to go well, preach the gospel on Monday. You want your life to mean something, preach the gospel. You want your day to not be wasted, preach the gospel. You want to have a short but meaningful life, preach the gospel. You preach it with everything that you've got. You tell every person that you can that you love them and you show them affection and love because Jesus has changed your life, which means hopefully your life is actually changing and preach the gospel. And live aware 
that this whole thing gets wrapped up eventually, including you. Your life is brief. Preach the gospel. And however he returns, and whatever those signs look like, be ready for his return. Because when you're ready for his return, you're also ready for your own ending. Chapter 24, verse 44. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Unless you expect him every hour. But Tom, uh, I would kind of like to know what day he's coming, and I would say, why? Well, because if I knew he was coming, it would set in motion a series of events. Well, like what? Well, if I knew he was coming like on Thursday, I have this aunt in Toledo, and then I would call her, and then you should call her. Well, if I knew that he was coming like the end of the day today, I, I, like I would... I would like cash out my 401k and I like I've had it on my heart that I would print like this many Bibles. It sounds like a calling and you should just do that. Well, I, you know, if, if, if I knew, if I knew, if I knew, well, what, what, what would you do? Who would you be differently? Because we are our actions. Then you should call her. What the enemy has got us stuck and focusing on is what day when Jesus is saying, be ready today. This is on your screens. What the enemy has got us stuck on focusing is on what day when Jesus is saying, you be ready today. The return of Christ is not some zombie apocalypse to prepare for. His return should only strengthen the same action that his resurrection and crucifixion have called for. Bold, loving focus on Christ and his ways and on the gospel. Now, um, one of my favorite things to do is bonfires. Don't you love a good bonfire when you get to get outside? If you get the bonfire right, the mosquitoes go away. Uh, and as the night goes on, it starts to get a little closer. So what happens? At first, you know, everybody's trying to like stay and keep the smoke out of their eyes, but as the fire kind of goes down, you're running out of wood, you know, the, you, you start to kind of draw closer to the original heat. Sometimes you draw closer to each other, especially uh, when you're around that point four is what we want you to do is to draw close to the flame is how you prepare. Draw close to the flame. What I would love for you to do is that you live in a community of people that wants to be around the flame. You see, sometimes the fire can get dim and cold, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Is it literally says that our faith is going to go cold because the wickedness of this world will only increase. Doesn't that sound wild to you? How can it get more wicked? Oh, it can. Oh, it can. And it will. Oh, so much more wicked. Oh, we are so gifted to be able to sit here in a public place and broadcast online that there is a God and that his name is Jesus. It's going to get worse. Don't be afraid and don't get angry. Get vigilant. Preach the gospel. And then they'll know. Draw close to the flame and you'll stay warm. Get surrounded by people. Because Jesus warns us that there will be a time whose faith will come cold. Because of the crease of wickedness, the love of most will come cold. My final application that I would give to you to understand how do you prepare for when he returns is become an evangelist. If you're taking notes, become an evangelist. I've heard it said to me before, but Tom, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Okay, that means, like, maybe you're not awesome at, like, having conversations with people. Are you capable? Are you capable of just telling people 
if you see anything good in me, can you just know that it's because I'm a grateful person who was changed by Christ? Now, for a while, I, I, I've struggled with mental health in my life, um, and I was going to this wonderful organization. It's a 12-step program called Celebrate Recovery. It's all gospel-based. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, and anybody who was sitting in this room, you know what I love about Celebrate Recovery is in church, we all nod our heads when we say, you know, no perfect people allowed. You go to Celebrate Recovery where people have needle marks or they've been sober for a day and they're just hoping to stay sober for the next hour. They need Jesus now. And I was in there and I was sad and broken and angry and crying out. And what moved me most was people who would stand up and they would talk about their story. Some of you were in Celebrate Recovery with me. And the first thing that they would say when they introduced themselves is they would say, Hi, my name is Tom, and I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. And I tell you guys, that was all the testimony that I needed to lean in for anything else that they had to say, anything else that was weird about them, it, you know, because they're people, and there were plenty of weird people there too. But when they say, I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ, there was nothing offensive in the sense of they were trying to force anything down. They were just somebody living in gratitude because they knew what it was like to need to be rescued. Do you have that sense of need in your life? If you don't, I just would suggest to you that you repent and know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit interfere with your life, and gratitude will take over. You won't need to be convinced to hang on to faith because it feels like a blind step in the dark. I was really struggling with my faith as a teenager, and most of it was because of people, not the God. I find that most of us, when we really struggle with believing, it's because we've been burned by people. People don't expect it. You know, they don't, they, the, a pastor did them wrong. We are fully capable of screwing up. I am the bad guy in people's story out there. There are some people out there, and it breaks my heart. My biggest fear as a pastor is that I'm going to hurt somebody so much that they're going to walk away from the faith. Some of it has been for reasons that it's like, golly, I was driving down Van Dyke and somebody cut me off and you didn't think a pastor should respond that way. And I'm like, you are right. But I still did. I still sinned. And I am like totally concerned that for some of you, I, I am so socially awkward sometimes that I'm afraid that I handled a situation on a Sunday morning in the lobby and that I shook somebody's hand wrong or I made the wrong joke or I looked the wrong way or that my jeans were too tight, or not cool enough, or, you know, whatever it is, and then they'll come up to me, and, or they won't come up to me, but they will just disappear because I screwed them up. People walk away from the faith all the time. And if, if I'm one of those people, and you were like, I just can't wait for Pastor Scott. I can deal with this guy and his nonsense music. I am so sorry. But I will tell you, please still become an evangelist, because I'm not your evangelist would tell you that Pastor Scott is not your evangelist. I do believe that if you invite your friends to church and they come here, they have the opportunity to hear something in a very concentrated way that is powerful and will be clear and we'll do everything we can to give them a wonderful and clear, amazing experience. We'll do that. But you're the evangelist to your friends because God put you in their life. But sometimes we're so caught up in there's so much sin in our life. 
There's so much sin in this world. And, oh, it's getting dark, and it's getting darker every day. And what are we going to do? And then we start talking, and then we start freaking out. And then we get a bunch of other guys like, let's have some breakfast together and talk about how bad the world is. And I'm just telling you, we don't need that information. Fully aware that this world is messed up. I didn't even need the news for that. I have relatives. <laughs> what we do need is actual loving Christians who sit in the room with the broken and who will tell you, I'm just a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. Now, several times in the Bible, like Jesus uses the word elect and uh, a natural question would be, well, like, well, who's the elect? And, you know, is it this? Because I read this, and then, and, and, oh, my, oh my gosh. Here's the thing. Skip the debate and spread the news. Skip the debate and spread the news. Now, I love conversations about the Bible, and I love just, like, geeking out, and I love sitting with it and, like, overlapping the Gospels and looking at the epistles of Paul and trying to figure out, like, will he use this Greek word here, but why did he use Hebrew? And, like, looking at it all, and it's a ton of fun, and I believe that loving the Lord with all of your mind, like, that's part of it. Like, let's increase our knowledge and our base, but you know why I study all of that? Because looking at the information and wondering what elect means stirs up my affection for Jesus. And Jesus says that if you love me, you will obey me. And how do you obey Jesus? You love his people and you love sheep and you love people. So if studying what the word elect means or studying up what you think a word like rapture means or to be caught up means or any of that means, and it stirs up your affection to go love other people, then do it. A lot. And get into the word of God. And enjoy it. And if it makes you sing better than a song does, then do it. But if it freaks you out and makes you scared and creeps everybody else out, then you're missing it. And we don't have to miss it. You can have your cake about the end of the world, I guess, and eat it too. I just try to be a real practical guy in regards to my faith. Anytime that somebody is preaching a topic, I'm, I'm just always asking the question like, well, what do you actually want me to do? Because if me just believing and agreeing with you is it, that is a passive experience where maybe my roots will go deeper. But if it doesn't create new activity that has fruits of love and truth, then it's useless. And if you believe that Jesus is going to be coming back like within the year 2022, well, then what are you doing here? Because if you really believed it, you would have cashed out your 401k and you would have hired a translator and you would be on your way to Yemen right now. Yemen where it's illegal to preach the gospel and you could be killed or you could go to North Korea and break in or you could go to Afghanistan or Eritrea, which is in East Africa, and you could go into Somalia, which is not a big fan of us right now, and you could go in and you could preach the gospel because until that happens, so all of the ethnos of this world, he's not coming back yet, but he is soon. So we support those endeavors. And we work hard towards those endeavors. You know, this, um, this past weekend, I, I wasn't feeling very well. It was on Sunday after church. I've had COVID twice. I've been 
vaccinated and boosted. So I, for some of you, because I've been vaccinated, if you just want the quick update, my Wi-Fi signal is awesome right now. I, I, like I just did, because I just didn't want to like have any, like any reason to not be with you and serving. So I like, don't worry, like is he pro-vaccine? No, I just did it. Like just get me back to people, whatever you got to do. And, and, and that was for me as a pastor, but I still caught it twice. Now I'm like licking door handles because I'm antibody man. Like I'm just like... I got it. And I get sick all the time. But last, last weekend, I just wasn't feeling well, but I also had a sunburn on my face. And when you're tired and you're sick and you're burned, like you're just not thinking straight. And I was sitting there like on the couch and I'm like, I wonder if I have a fever. Now, did you know we have a medical team here at Lake Point? Like our medical team here is like ridiculously top notch. I would put our medical team up against any local urgent care because we have doctors, and we have pediatric nurses, we have RNs, we have surgical, like we have ridiculous amount of people. So I just, to those of you who are on that team, please don't give up on me as your worship pastor when I say this, because I lost my darn mind. And I googled, how do you tell if you have a fever? That's stupid, okay? It's just stupid. How do you tell if you have a fever? You get a thermometer out and you check if you have a fever. I even have one of those cool laser gun ones and I could have just gone and get it, but there I am sitting there thinking like, how do you even know? You can't. Because you get so sick and you get tired and you forget facts, which is a fever isn't just because you feel sick, it's literal numbers that your body produces. It's data, homie. But when you think about your feelings, you forget facts. You can lose your doggone mind, and I swear to you, nothing will make you more stupid than fear and discomfort. Am I allowed to use the word stupid? Because I see some stupid stuff. <laughs> Scott will be nicer next week. Just, just hold on for him. You know, I'm a fully grown, educated man who's able to speak audible words into an amplified system. They actually let me do that here. And then they let me broadcast said words into the internet, but I forgot how to measure whether or not I had a fever or not. But when you think more about your feelings more than facts, you can lose your mind. And sometimes I wonder if the reason that God constantly commands us to not be afraid or to not worry is because he doesn't want us to be stupid. He doesn't want us to be dumb. It's like the number one command of the Bible. There's like commands or laws that the Lord makes and wills that Jesus makes that we have entire series on, entire debates and laws. And we've lost friendships over things that are mentioned like two or three times by Jesus. But the number one and most frequent command is fear not. And it happens all the time. It's a gross sin to our God because it's literally saying like, you are not big enough. And I just tell you that not big enough God is returning soon. Do not be afraid. If you give me a reason to be fear, my first instinct is to draw close to the flame and say, if they want me afraid, they may want me to be deceived. You got a leader standing up front who wants to freak you out? have a red flag that goes off and say, I'll hear you out. But I also know that that is how the enemy will trick me the easiest and the quickest. You want to scare me? You probably want to trick me. You want to scare me? You want to take money away. You want to scare me? What do you want with my kids? You want to scare me? 
No. Because my God has come to seek and to save the lost. So that's what I'm going to do. And it's a command. And if you believe in the gospel, but you're still worked up about the rapture, then my friend, your head has been buried in the internet for too long looking for answers that you already know that Jesus is king and he's coming back. And the solution for your soul regarding his return is the same solution regarding your assured death. The answer to his return is the same as the answer to every one of us that we're going to have to face. This world is not it. And what I believe is that we are not bodies that have souls inside of it, that we are souls first that happen to have bodies. And I think that we need to start behaving accordingly. Jesus is king. He's coming back. His gospel is of highest priority. And his gospel, his good news, is that his sacrifice and resurrection have paid it all. And that you can know him. And that you can know your God and your king. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. When people try to summarize the Bible, they summarize the Old Testament, which is what Jesus was doing, which is when he said, um, you know, the whole thing could be summarized in this, to love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind, and soul, and to love others of yourself. We call that the golden rule. It makes sense. Treat people the way you want to be treated. But Jesus comes up with what I heard Andy Stanley, a pastor out of Atlanta, called the platinum rule, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You want to know how to prepare for the return of Christ? This is it. You make peace with God by asking him into your heart and surrendering and saying you get to be king. And watch verse 35. By this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do they know you are his disciple? Do they know you're his disciple? Be excited for his return and sober-minded. Prepare the way by loving people like Jesus did. Study how Jesus did it, I dare you. Then act as if time is short for you and I, because it is, and actually do something about it. There will come a time when there are no human beings remaining to remember that anyone who ever existed or that our species ever did anything, there will be no one left to remember Aristotle of Cleopatra, let alone you. That was a quote from the book of Fault in Our Stars. You and I are short here on earth. This is a, there's an obsession with our legacy. You know, one of the most profound people that ever got studied was the diary of Anne Frank. Did you know that that almost got buried forever? It was on the reject pile of publishers and eventually that was dug up. And we read that and even slowly we're starting to forget who she was, who survived for a while, one of the worst moments in human history. People are going to forget you, but everyone is going to meet Jesus. Let's live accordingly. I don't care about your legacy. I don't care about my legacy. I just care about, did I love somebody and did they know who Jesus is? They will forget Tom. 
I, I had two cousins who passed away from COVID within about a week of each other last year. Uh, they were husband and wife. And, uh, you know, as we were walking through the cemetery and uh, we performed the graveside for them, first of all, I'll just tell you that as a pastor, my deepest honor is being there for somebody's wedding and then for somebody's funeral. Um, I usually stay uh, when they close the casket for the last time. Sometimes they take the family out because there's just some things that they do to make sure that the person is laid to rest well. I like to stay. That was my person. I was their shepherd and I cared for them. So I make sure that that person is taken care of with dignity and care and love and affection all the way to the end. And then I see them all the way to the place where they're laid to rest. It's one of the deepest honors of my life to make sure that that dignity is protected. And as I was walking around, I saw um, this, uh, this tombstone and it wasn't the, wasn't the last one that I saw the day of a woman who had lost her husband and then she lived 20 more years past him, and even she passed away, and it had been 10 years since then, and I was just thinking, wow, you went on for 20 more years. That must have been incredible. How much you had to endure to be alone for all that time. Well, she still ended up passing someday. And so will you. And he's coming soon. And if our life can just be a little blip where we just say, Part of my legacy is that for the thousands of years after his resurrection, I was just one of the people who just kind of kept his name going over time. Oh, thank you, Jesus. What an honor. Do not remember me. Remember my Savior. Is he coming soon? Yes. Isn't he coming soon? Yes. And there's a word that Christians use to answer that question. It's amen. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to dismiss. Jesus, we love you, we trust you, we are grateful to you. We ask you, God, that you would move in our hearts today and make us more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.